millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's the Round Ball Rock Podcast, starring Dave Schilling, Otis Birdsong, Lucius Harris, Richard Jefferson, Joey Devine, Nanon Kerstich, Don McCullough, Chris Morris. John Keane, Michael Ray Richardson, Keith Van Horn, special guest David J. Roth, (laughs) (laughs) musical guest Titus Andronicus, and now the host of Round Ball Rock, Joey Devine. Hi, Roundball, what the fuckers? It's me again for the third time this week, your host, what? Joey Devine. It's lit, fam. All right, that's my catchphrase for some reason. I've said it. Sean Keane, hey, how it are going? you doing? I'm good. I have I have successfully avoided... This is our 70th episode, and I believe I have avoided a catchphrase until that time. It's true, I have all of our catchphrases for what's, some reason. What's great um, is we got, I think, one iTunes review that referred to everybody's catchphrase. Um, Dave's was you, apparently under baby, which was when we because were because we over-unders. did over unders one time. Uh, Joey's Joey's catchphrases are an extended high. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. lit fam, and then also saying shut it down. Let's go home. Yeah. Um, and yours is saying Nenad Kristich's name in a Don Pardo voice? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I say that every week. <laughs> well, that's actually the ghost of Don Pardo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is the voice of David Roth, our guest. Uh, you may know David from Vice Sports or the founder of The Classical, one of my favorite Kickstarters of all time. Um, and a great website to read sports um david how are you doing i'm good thank you for saying those nice things 
oh, of course. It's my job as a podcast host. And I feel also, like I, they're true. I, I feel, thank you. I feel like I interrupted Sean. Were you going to say, what, what did this person say your catchphrase was? No, he they, didn't have they one. They didn't have one for me. Oh, they just they just left you out of their assessment of the podcast that you co-host. They they did. It was not that many episodes in, but um, I definitely repeat myself all the time. So um, if you're out there, uh, round ball kateers, is there a catchphrase that I need to be repeating every week? Um, yeah, because that's that's what people. I was a big watcher of uh, the TGIF series of shows as a child, so mm-hmm. um, and I just know the catchphrase is, that's how you get those ratings and longevity. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, they had my favorite catchphrase uh, from Cody the Code Man from Step by Step, which uh-huh. was, hey, I don't know if that guy had a catchphrase. Anyway. No, his catchphrase <laughs> was, oh, I brought a gun to the set. Guess Ross yeah, that's show's the... taken over. <laughs> That was like the troubled kickboxer guy. Yes. 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 Yeah. Although <laughs> it it turned out that apparently he was being abused by his partner. And yes. It was not his the wife, other way around. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. But um, that that was a weird. I remember I I was too old at that point, but my little sister was very confused that her favorite character had been replaced by Balky. For yeah. A that's... Year. They would also try to sneak that by you at that time. Like they would, I'm sure they didn't do it in this case, but they would just like flip the casting up and they'd be like, yeah, the guy that you had a crush on looks like Bronson Pinchot now. Same guy. Yeah. <laughs> Same name. Like he's not different in any way, except for he's 25 years older yeah. and he's wearing like three scarves. And like he's doing his Beverly Hills cop character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would have been weirder if he was doing his, uh... oh, shit. True What's romance? that movie with? Uh, oh, yes. True Romance is better. I was going to say his, um, the Tom Cruise business. prostitution. Yeah, his risky business character. But that's his catchphrase. Yeah. Every episode, he hires an escort. You can't get a hooker. Everybody's wearing t-shirts to say that. <laughs> Um, all right, guys, let's, uh, should we talk about some news? Let's hit the news. This is Round Ball Rock News. Basketball news. For humans and robots. Trust the process. All right. following I'm sorry. There's, There's not little. really any okay, news. Yeah. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah, I thought I had been following it. I mean, I if I... Yeah, I yeah, can I can I lead talking about how little news there is, actually? Sure. Because I was looking at the ESPN page. We like we try to stay on top of everything that's happening, obviously. Uh, and two of the top five NBA stories, one of them was that Russell Westbrook and Paul George were practicing together, mm-hmm. which wow. looked like a gossip item, except they're just... Teammates. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not weird at all. I'm pretty sure they both live in Los Angeles in the offseason, too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it it feels like they... I'm I'm also wondering, like, who leaked this? Or, anyway. And then the other one was about Ice Cube defeating Lonzo Ball's father at a four-point shootout at a Big Three event. So, which I... You attended... I attended, and it was not really that big a deal then, except for LeVar Ball trying to cheat. 
but yeah, it was a ninety second exhibition uh, during the, the ha, ha, during halftime of the fourth three on three basketball game of the day. So it was like two guys in their late forties that they're not professional athletes taking yeah. long three pointers. Yes, I, yeah. Uh, well, Ice Cube won the, by hitting two of them. Uh, <laughs> And I mean, again, fair, 90 seconds. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, they are two guys who uh, have very clearly lied about their basketball prowess in the past. Oh, you don't uh, think that you don't think that Ice Cube has actually gotten a triple double is what you're saying. I think I think people have this is ground that's been covered before, but I don't. I think it's hard to get a triple double in a pickup basketball game, and also no one keeps stats. Was this one of those, a, the, those classic sixty-minute pickup games played to a hundred? Exactly. <laughs> it's the only kind that I ever play, and to me, that's why I don't do it anymore. Yeah, I just don't have the gas. You just you got to, but you got to get your stats up, right? Because if they could come up with a pickup, like a version of pickup basketball that was played like either on a half court or played to a number less than 100, I'd probably go back to playing that. I just don't think that such yeah. a thing is yeah. out there. <laughs> I do wonder if there's any, like, really stat-inclined rappers who have been trying to, like, throw in references to PER in that or, like, <laughs> like, like the efficiency ratio. Because I feel like Drake hangs out with Steph Curry enough that he's, you know, he's he's gotten a sense of some of the more advanced metrics Probably been to Joe Lacob's house. Yeah, basketball analysis in rap songs is still extremely like that's a punchline driven uh, metric at this (laughs) point. Yeah, yeah, still. It's sad. It's hard. It's hard to rhyme. I got a five by five. Yeah. Um, Right. Right. (laughs) Plus minus is popping. Yeah. My, my... I remember when I was writing, so I, I wrote a piece about the actual song Round Ball Rock earlier this year, and uh-huh. part of the research, I guess you'd have to say for that, was listening to the different rap songs that have sampled it in the past. Mm-hmm. So I was able to find, it wasn't exactly, like one of them is just like a, you know, there's there's a Nelly song. Yes, um, that Heart of a Champion. Is, yeah, yeah. Uh, extremely inspiring song. I listen to it every morning. <laughs> I can't even get out of bed without it. And then... There's a there's a Raskas song which is like fine, but it's in that like Raskas like recording in like a Ramada Inn, like while he's like <laughs> like running from a couple of warrants sort of portion of his career. And then there's a there's a Joe Budden song that is the most I couldn't listen to all of it. It's not even really a song, I and mean, it's basically like the it's round ball rock and him just like sort of freestyling over it. But it is just like the most exhaustive like punchline assault that I've ever endured. Even <laughs> and I've listened to other Joe Budden songs. Like I said, I'm not a babe in the woods for this stuff. Like it was impossible. Like I was thinking that it could have been, you know, could have snuck some stuff in there, but it's just basically uh yeah. It's like blank blank like Draymond Green, blank blank like, you know, whatever. <laughs> like Monte Ellis. But yeah, it's just it's like you hear the names of like sixty five different NBA players before you can turn it off and feel like you've you've done your work as a reporter. Amazing. That's a that's a good deep dive. We had um we had a really angry comment in the early days of our punchline uh, sorry, of our podcast. Jesus, uh, where someone was very mad about John Tesh's plagi- plagiarism in that song, oh, and they I wanted us to get that. to the bottom of it. 
like what did they think he plagiarized? Uh, I think it's a Mason Jennings song. It does not sound very much like mm-hmm. Roundball Rock. It yeah, has a it has like a ten second portion that is kind of does like a dun 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 dun, dun thing. But the the song in its entirety does not really resemble it at all. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah, I I don't want to stand for for Tesh too hard here. Yeah, but I will. I'm gonna do it though. <laughs> I just don't want to. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, yeah, like there's not a. I don't think there's not a plagiarizing bone in that man's body. Like I think, and that song is so authentically Tesh. It's like if you were to. Like he, that's what his music would sound like. It's like if you pl- watched a couple basketball games with John Tesh, he would just, like, he would either sing those sounds to you or he'd just bang it out on a keyboard. That's yeah. real. I could I see would him. Frankly, Go ahead. I would frankly be surprised to learn it, that John Tesh had ever heard any music at all that wasn't made by him. <laughs> I think he's like. <laughs> He's got, like, a background. I think he's probably one of those dudes that, like, actually is extremely conversant in classical music forms. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yes. I, don't know what, I don't know what he listens to for, for Yucks. I mean, but kind of blew my mind in talking to him for that piece. It's like, he's he's extremely talented. Like, he's mm-hmm. in the way that even the, you know, sort of, like, taste level, whatever, you can have your sorts of debates about it. Like, the dude's super skilled. Like, he used to just, like, he would improvise music in like a van for tour de france coverage or whatever and it would just like be a thing that he would knock out like i couldn't do that like i don't know anybody that could do that it doesn't mean that the music is exactly shit you're gonna want to keep on repeat forever or whatever but yeah it's uh i don't yeah i'm just what i want to make clear here is that i admire john tesh very much yeah (laughs) and i'm Uh, not gonna be here for any slandering yeah that's to me he has uh he has a real vibe to me that is like he's He's like the Jim Nance version of Andrew WK, where they're both super, they're both like relentlessly positive. If you see any of their non-musical stuff, it is all like, believe in yourself, you can do it, like, enjoy your life, every day is a gift. But Andrew WK is like, I just became kind of like a punk in his influential times, and instead of going to a conservatory, it was like, blowing out windows, hooking up a super speaker to his yeah. basement apartment, you know? Whereas Tesh was, like, either at, like, a conservatory or was, like, working, like, a solid media job, and he was like, I think if I really put my mind to it and keep my nose <laughs> to the grindstone, I can get a promotion. Yeah, right. And then, like, he got a promotion and was like, yes. Like, now, <laughs> and that's... <laughs> <laughs> Which is a lot different than like getting a nosebleed because you're screaming so hard. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> plus, let's be honest here. Roundball Rock is the greatest sports theme song of all time. I love it, and it's much. not even close. Like, yeah. we're we're in an era now where, uh, unfortunately, television has decided to eschew that and just pick pop songs. So you get the NBA Finals where they play Santana smooth. 30 times going to commercial break. (laughs) I have to say, this is the first... They had Kendrick Lamar this year, which is amazing because I think two years ago, the final song was Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty. (laughs) They have made some... Some steps to that's modernize a, a little a bit. A really long way to go in 24 months. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, go from, like, Christopher Cross to Migos right. in the course of three years. It's pretty fucking impressive. Well, speaking about going a long way, 
but the wrong way. Uh, we have we've got some updates on the woke off, mm-hmm. David. For in case you didn't know, we here at Round Ball Rock we cover who is the wokest in the NBA stratosphere. And uh, when we had our episode the other day, LeBron James had tweeted about Charlottesville, but then we finished recording, and then it turned out he gave like a five-minute speech about Charlottesville at some event he had for Cleveland Charity Kids. And I think this puts him in the lead of the woke-off. Sean, how do you feel about that? Uh you know, it, it, it's tough to determine because it's, it's, there's a limited amount of political content you're going to inject into a speech for children unless you're the president. So the speech was very woke, but by the end it sort of descends into kind of a Coach Taylor uh, Friday Night Lights thing. Do you, have, do you have some of the quotes from that, Joey? Yeah, hold on. I'm pulling him up, and there's a helicopter going over me right now, oh, okay. so I'm muting okay. myself. So give me one second to pull it. Okay. Uh, in order to fill the air, yeah. I just want to um, – could you just tell me the Stan Van Gundy Pistons fan story again? Oh, absolutely. So Stan Van Gundy, uh, after the election, there were a couple things. Like Greg Popovich kept – I think pretty much the whole season was sort of criticizing Trump, but he sort of does it in a pop way where even the first time he sounded like he was exhausted – to like how am i still talking about this and it was like that's your first quote uh but but van gundy was so upset about trump and the way he treats people and he talked about like he felt like he couldn't explain it to his daughters and then he just started denouncing the fans uh in detroit that it was hard to even look at them knowing that the state of michigan had gone for donald trump and uh yeah he basically just like like I like I don't even want to be here. Yeah, just to take, to take our listeners behind the scenes, he yeah. just—it's been ninety seconds since I heard this story the last time. Like we talked about this right before we started recording. I just love it so much. Like I may ask at regular intervals throughout the podcast for you to just tell me again about Stan Van Gundy talking about how he can't even look at fans; he gets so nauseous. And it just—and and Van Gundy is the opposite of Popovich or Kerr, who are like very smooth and very modulated voices. Van, you know, Stan Van's voice goes up a little bit, even when he's just <laughs> diagramming an out of bounds play. And so, <laughs> I can just imagine. Oh. He's like he's he's like the Howard Dean of the woke off. I, <laughs> I bet he drank so many diet Pepsis in disgust, just trying to make him make make the feelings go away. Yeah. Um, all right, I have these LeBron quotes. Okay. Do you want me to read it? Let's do it. Uh, and do you want to put? Seeing as you um, said it's a Coach Taylor esque thing, do you want to put some? I'll put some explosions in the sky. In the sky. Yeah. <laughs> Um, lastly, and last before I get off stage, before we all get off stage, I know there's a lot of tragic things happening in Charlottesville. I just want to speak on it right now. I have this platform, and I'm somebody that has a voice of command, and the only way for us to get better as a society and for us to get better as people as love. And that's the only way we're going to be able to conquer something as one. It's not about the guy's... That's, it's not about the guy that's the so-called president of the United States, or whatever the case. It's not about a teacher that you don't feel like cares about what's going on with you every day. It's not about people that you just don't feel like want to give the best energy and effort to you. It's about us. 
It's about us looking in the mirror, kids all the way up to the adults, all of us looking in the mirror and saying, what can we do better to help change? And if we can all do that and give 110% and give both foots forward, then that's all you can ask for. So shout out to the innocent people in Charlottesville and shout out to everybody across the world that just want to be great and just want to love. Thank you and I love you all. Landry killed a guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tim Riggins, get out of jail. Uh, clear eyes, full hearts. Still lose to the Warriors. All right. <laughs> wow, that was it's very inspiring word. Yeah, super inspiring. So one part uh, of it that I noticed, and I don't know if this is reading too much into it, because, you know, we're all trying to figure out, like, if Kyrie Irving's going to go back to Cleveland or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that if he had said around the world, it could have been read as antagonizing <laughs> Kyrie. Oh, good point. <laughs> but because he said across the world, like, or, you know, all the way down the, the flat sheet of the world, <laughs> the entire length of it. Then maybe this is a conciliatory statement in some way that it's embedded within the broader thing. Yeah, it's maybe true. I'm missing the point of it. Maybe I'm no, missing I, the no, point. No, I think that was saying. I think that was a definitely an olive branch. He is easily the NBA player most likely have to have voted for Jill Stein. That's for sure. Um. <laughs> or like a, a, somebody that nobody even knows is a candidate. Like there's, I remember reading the, the actress Sean Young talking about who her preferred candidate was, and it was like some guy that's running. Like, his platform is basically that nothing it really exists or has ever happened. <laughs> it was, like, one of those, like, conspiratorial things where it's just, like, everything that you think you see is a hologram except for me. And you are also not a hologram. And, like, that's the whole, like, whatever, Sean Young star of, uh, well, like, whatever, runner-up for the role of Catwoman. In- well, I was, I was actually <laughs> going like, yeah. to say, if Kyrie Irving really wants to get traded... He should take a page out of Sean Young's book and just show up to camp in a Catwoman costume. Or just like um, a, a Nick's uniform yeah, he Nick's, made himself. And he just shows up at, at, at Nick's training camp and like, you guys, you guys work something out. I have to say that I don't understand how it would happen. It doesn't seem like it makes any sense. I want Kyrie Irving to become a New York Knicks so badly. Oh, it's it. It is the ultimate like dog chasing, like dog catching the car scenario. Like if that's yeah. what you want, man, if you're sure, <laughs> like a million monkey paws all around the world instantly close all five fingers at once. Like just like yeah, you got it. <laughs> so it's so perfect, and just the Kyrie Irving Frank Isola uh, relationship just seems like it could be so incredible. <laughs> You know that, that he's already got like a Google Doc open with different cruel nicknames in it. He's just work dropping. <laughs> yeah. For when the moment comes. Yeah. Uh, um. So Kevin Durant also sort of joined the woke off today. It's Kevin Durant Day, uh, in Maryland where he's from, and somebody asked him about LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Ray Allen, and Steve Nash going after Trump and how he felt about it. And I would say this shows the difference between Kevin Durant and LeBron because Kevin Durant's quote was hell yeah hell yeah that's how it's supposed to be we don't fuck with him and that's it great <laughs> Durant is a delight to me like I don't if you don't like Kevin Durant I don't understand 
where you're coming from. Yeah, I remember he had a tweet earlier this week that was like, I think he linked to a Deadspin article, or he just took a picture of his TV. But it was there was some fantasy football auction format thing on oh, ESPN. Yes, and yeah. he was like, you know, so like Deadspin writes a whole blog post on it. It's like pretty funny. And Durant's tweet was just like, "Bum ass ESPN needs new ideas." <laughs> and I was like, "Yes." There it is. You got like a hundred characters left. Don't even need them, do you? Like, it's just fucking great. So back to the woke off real quick. Uh, I wanted to declare LeBron James the winner. Sean, you don't. Sean, is there one thing we can agree on who actually won the woke off this week? And it's... I was watching that video. Okay, there's a video GQ posted this week of the Charlottesville protests. And a bunch of counter-protesters... Uh, are chasing a white yeah. supremacist. It's the guy he... who. Um, it's the guy who takes his shirt off. Yeah, and like, I'm not. A, I'm not a supremacist. I took my shirt off. And... Saying like, "Oh God, please don't hurt me." I believe it's the first line of dialogue you hear. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, and it's says, so. It's so over. Deta- I thought it was a work. I still kind of think maybe it's a work. <laughs> right. But... Well, I was watching this video last night, and. Uh, as he's walking away through the counter-protest, uh, he walks by a counter-protester who is wearing a Malcolm Brogdon t-shirt Ooh. and vaping. And I think that's the guy, that's the NBA guy who won the, the woke-off this week. <laughs> the Charlottesville counter-protester wearing a Malcolm Brogdon t-shirt and vaping. Like, even... <laughs> When you're out there, like, putting your life at risk to stand against fascism, you still rep for University of Virginia basketball. Yeah. Which is right, right. fantastic. <laughs> uh, I was saying, like, his nickname is the president, Malcolm Brogdon's nickname. So that that guy clearly, he's, he's into two things. He's into politics and 27-year-old rookies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You'd say that, I mean, ordinarily, if you were to say that you saw a person who was saying in some implied or explicit way, not my president, while vaping, you'd be like, well, that guy sounds terrible. And yet, the person that you just described <laughs> fucking owns. So this is complicated. <laughs> like, there's, right. Just goes to show there's more than one side to all of this. That's a good, very, really good point. <laughs> uh, um, Sean, did you have anything else you wanted to say about Malcolm Brogdon, t-shirt guy? No, I I I couldn't think of who the alt right jersey would be because first I was like, well, Dario Saric, the guy who came in second, like that's kind of like what happens when you support the Civil War. You're going for the second place team. <laughs> uh, I think it's like a Bogut Mavs jersey. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Maybe like uh, I uh, I think like a Spencer Hawes T-shirt jersey. Yeah, and and I guess it would be. The Sixers, but for the Kings, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It seems like it's like Bogut's the only outright PizzaGate, uh, like believer in the NBA. I believe that yeah. seems like a pretty high standard to hit. I no, bet no Spencer one. Hawes. I bet Spencer Hawes believes in PizzaGate. He's just quieter about it. Let's yeah. be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, in actual non woke NBA news. Uh, the biggest story of the day, apparently, is uh, former ESPN reporter Chris Sheridan tweeted that LeBron James is 100% not returning to Cleveland. 
And uh, Chris Sheridan says a lot of things now. Um, and one time he said LeBron wasn't coming back, was wasn't uh, coming back to Cleveland, and was right. So now people think think he's not just randomly guessing. How do you guys feel about that? Shall, shall I go first? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, David. All right. Uh, I have no problem believing that LeBron is going to leave the Cavs at the end of next year, but uh, that tweet just has no bearing on that belief and if anything uh makes it a little bit more shaky to me i mean not that like i think that chris shared he's got a long track record and whatever like you said he was right about one thing one time but he's also like whatever he's sourced he knows what's up but also it's like you know anybody could have tweeted that you know be like yeah he doesn't like the owner like the owner that he left because he hated before he doesn't like him now either like that's you know that doesn't qualify as like breaking to me and yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Well, the owner we also learned this week, by the way, gave Donald Trump's inauguration seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Well, after hosting the Republican convention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, yeah, uh, no kidding. LeBron doesn't like the owner. He also said that in a video during the NBA finals, essentially. I don't know why that tweet just kind of infuriated me. Because it was just so confident, like, 100% he's leaving. It's my first tweet in six days. No one knows what my job is right now. <laughs> Take that. Yeah, I mean, any that in general, that tone uh, for basketball Twitter is stuff that I don't like. You know, the sort of, like, sources say, multiple sources say that, like, mm-hmm. you know, the creep, creeping Broussardism, <laughs> like, idea of... <laughs> Like, absolute certainty with zero consequence for being wrong, like, ever, is uh, exactly pretty fucking whack look. Like, and definitely <laughs> does not inform anyone or make anybody smarter. It's just sort of whatever. Yeah, it's exhausting is what it is. <laughs> all right, I think we can all agree we think LeBron's leaving, but also we don't care about Chris Sheridan. <laughs> we... <laughs> but not because that dude said so. <laughs> So, Sean, I didn't see this story. You put it on the news, but uh, it's that no one is at ESPN has spoken out about Trump, but no. Max Kellerman. Yes, I was for the impeachment of James Dolan. I was, I was, yeah. He <laughs> notably, there's not that much political content on ESPN, but it does. But there is a video you can watch of, uh, yeah, Max Kellerman. He's distraught. Because because there are rumors that he will he is willing to trade Kristaps Porzingis, uh, Max Kellerman says that James Dolan must be removed of his duties. So he's willing to call James Dolan uh, unfit. Is it like a coded Trump thing where he's like the guy, the out of shape guy with the Queens Long Island accent? That yeah, you know his that job and has too much money. That guy in New, you, that guy in New York who hires and fires people at random and has no <laughs> long term plan for the future besides immediate gratification. You know the fat guy that everyone in New York hates. Uh, he has a lot of money. I was just Mid- broadly speaking, Midtown Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've never heard anything specific about this, but I bet James Dolan loves the same kind of like totally shitty food that Trump loves. Oh or yeah, just like chicken a la king, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> like, just, just I just imagine because he's he's on he's he, he's with the band too, so I'm just imagining just like he's like yeah, bring out that that steam tray. 
That's right. <laughs> Cook everything for twice as long as you're supposed to. Yeah. Just like those fries, yet they're totally <laughs> opaque, but just like kind of clear-ish <laughs> at the same time. That's like only those fries. Some of them are stuck together, and he's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Catch a right J- on top the, of the shit. The, yeah, the JD and the straight shot rider calls for uh, extra well-done steaks in ketchup. Um, yeah. for sure. And I again, I have no information to defend this, but I when I imagine James Dolan eating, it's always him standing like hunched over, like eating over like a golden sink. You know. Uh I mean to be fair to IMAX, um they could probably impeach both of them, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> I'm not sure that there's that we really sufficiently understand the process for how we impeach either of yeah. those people, but yeah, I mean, there's a case to be made. Is there we could get Louise Mensch to start tweeting about how James Dolan is definitely going to be impeached? Right, right, there we go. <laughs> like everyone in the organization, she's like talking about how like Herb Williams is going to wind up owning the team. Yeah, right. Like, that's like everyone happening. above him. They're <laughs> all tainted. What if President okay. Lake Wilkins said <laughs> <laughs> if James Dolan hired the Mooch to be the pre- the oh. uh, president of basketball operations, would they take his team away finally? Like, what would be the last straw? I think we <laughs> now know what it is, which is like you have to be recorded sounding like a fucking racist version of Master Shake by your mistress. <laughs> and then those need to be released. Like, the re- not yeah. transcripts, the recordings themselves must be released. Yeah, the I mean, only... he jailed Charles Oakley this year. <laughs> like, send him, send tra- him to he's jail. <laughs> the only person who can save Knicks fans is V. Stiviano. Yeah. <laughs> she could have like a, her really like shitty spangly mini dress lofted into the rafters and get Dolan out of there Be, like an emotional retirement ceremony uh, <laughs> oh the other thing I wanted to mention in the news is that um, the New Orleans Saints fired two of their team doctors because they missed uh, a broken leg diagnosis and kept trying to get the guy back on the field and we're like why why is this rehab taking so long you just have a bruise uh and you would not be surprised to learn they are also new orleans pelicans team doctors so yeah that could be we talk sometimes about how it feels like the players in new orleans are cursed and that it may just be these two really terrible doctors <laughs> It's weird to think that that's like of all, the, especially because like now that with the exception again of like the Knicks and a couple of other teams, the way that like most NBA teams are now playing with the same broad understanding of like the things that you should do to build a good team that like things like having a good training staff is now like that's a thing that like the Phoenix Suns can like use to market themselves to potential free agents or at least to like squeeze an extra few wins out of their roster the way that like the heat have like really good strength and conditioning like there's that yeah whereas like whatever the pelicans just being like like, all of our players get lupus we don't have an answer for it yeah (laughs) i mean the pelicans we're we're on it (laughs) like 
I have said this before, but the Pelicans remind me of they're like the basketball equivalent of that bad New Orleans acid trip in Easy Rider. Um, <laughs> because it is real depressing over there. Uh, <laughs> it should be so much. I, I think that like that could be really fun, too. Like Anthony Davis is so great. DeMarcus Cousins, like, can be cool, you know, given the circumstances. I can't, of all the places to have a bummer of a basketball team, like, it's the funnest, coolest city in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Boogie in New Orleans should be, like, the perfect match. Mm -hmm. Like, it should be Zebo in Memphis, but I don't think it's going to be that. Yeah. Uh, Because I don't think he's going to be there very much longer. Do you think that they, I mean, they really didn't give up super duper much to get him, and I'm sure that they could get more for him. I just wonder, like, have you heard anything? Have they been, has Chris Sheridan tweeted anything about where he's going? <laughs> I mean, I think they're really going to be making a push to just keep him, and I think he's from, is he from Mobile, Alabama? Is that right? Yeah. So he's yeah. not from I, very far away, and he seems to Mobile is kind of, is like a super junior version of, New Orleans, like they feel kind of the same. They even look kind of the same. It's uh-huh. just like not as good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like uh, Mobile is like where the protagonist in a John Grisham novel comes from, but he yeah. goes to New Orleans to like <laughs> right. sue the cigarette company. <laughs> yeah, um... <laughs> it's called up from the big time. Yeah, yeah but it's... <laughs> um. All right, uh, Sean, do you want to talk to David a little bit about things he's done in the past that we like a lot? Yeah, so so you have David David J. Roth at David hey. underscore J underscore Roth on Twitter. Uh, I don't know why I'm saying this. You have 100 times <laughs> as many followers as this podcast account. Uh, but you've, you've written for Vice. You founded the classical, and I want to talk about your most enduring legacy, which is the Stephen A. Smith crab rangoon tweet (laughs) it probably is like like it's i think it's my favorite tweet of all time except for Giannis antetokounmpo uh professing his love of smoothies uh but that's that's sort of a different thing because he's so delightful and to be fair it is because he can't really speak english that well at that point (laughs) uh but you, I think but there's there... a lot, a lot better tweets than the Crab Rangoon one. But I've, I'm now secure with the fact that that is my actual legacy. Like no matter what <laughs> else I do, like I want to write a book. You know, like preferably I'd love to write several books. But like I understand where those are going to rank when it's all said and done, and I'm trying to get cool with it. I'm just throwing this out there. If and when you write that book, the jacket should all just be quotes of people talking about how much they love the Crab Rangoon tweet. <laughs> <laughs> from the beloved author of the crab rangoon <laughs> and 86,000 other tweets <laughs> so so joey it, the, yeah uh i'm not even i'm not even gonna read the crab rangoon people should know they will know it um but <laughs> the key is uh last night Stephen a smith said things of that nature on yeah, ESPN. people People added me about it. This is what's so honestly like it's it, whatever. It's wonderful. Obviously, I'm very happy about it. But this is the only really good thing about having done 
a tweet like that, or at least at this point, I've like established a brand as like, I'm the guy that goes to the Goodwill and looks for shitty basketball jerseys. Like I did a Crab Rangoon thing. Like one time, <laughs> like Trump got mad at me on Twitter one time. You know, like also at least like a few things that people let me know about whenever they happen, which is great. It's sort of hard to. It's like my secret shame. Like I can't really tell my wife about it or right. whatever. Like it doesn't translate as well. The addition. Like did someone just send you like a picture of like a Gary Payton like Lakers jersey just for no reason? And I was like, well, there's a reason. <laughs> why they did it, but it's not important. <laughs> but yeah, when he said things of that nature, there were a bunch of people like CCing me and being like, it's happening, which is really... <laughs> I was very pleased. I was pleased that he said it, and I was extremely pleased to hear from people. So Yeah, it really... It I think it also sort of uh, speaks to the evolving nature of Twitter, because it... I don't. I don't know when it exactly turned. I'm gonna say like it, we're about five years into Twitter not just being like really a spot for mostly random weird jokes and like question the way people like old people will tweet sometimes now. It feels like you're you're like asking a question to the universe instead of being this sort of like slick, super ironic post everything thing that it is now i I don't know if i'm Mm -hmm. articulating that very well but i think it used to be it there used to be more of a perception that like twitter's just kind of silly trash anybody's tweets are just sort of disposable trash i don't know if it's just uh i don't know it feels like it's it's matured to a very weird place yeah not in a cool way either yeah well like we're at a point where like five years ago you'd see a drill tweet and it'd be like, oh, that's really funny. But now people see that drill tweet and are like, yeah, I'm going to use that emoji for political reasons. <laughs> yeah. it's, well, I think it's a joke. I blame, I mean, I blame Trump for it, not to immediately make something bad for political reasons. But I mean, I really think that's it. That like, you go back and look at, I mean, the, the Stephen A. Smith tweet is from, I think, 2014 or possibly 2015. The and, crab, like, rag- was, crab rangoon. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. actually from June of 2012. Seriously, we are five years into the wow, rangoon wow, era. Wow. Yeah, five five wonderful years. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I don't even know what anniversary that is. Take myself out. The, but yeah, I mean, it was. It felt like a lot. It was like a more of a sort of absurdist joke site at that point and then like yeah now it does have this kind of like it, it's as shitty as everything else yeah. i guess is what it is right and it's a question yeah. of like how long does it take for things to catch up like facebook was instantly as shitty as everything else that was yes. like its <laughs> value proposition i guess and it was like a, <laughs> like there's an online place that's just like the offline place where you live and you can go there and it's just as bad <laughs> and you can put your pictures there and like other people's pets will be featured or whatever and like whatever but somehow that worked and now they what's control. the upside to it oh uh they don't make you be friends with tom yeah there's, <laughs> there's no smells uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little less visually assaultive people can't make music uh part of their profile yeah that's why we're all going there yeah. um... <laughs> so i was I was going to ask if you'd be willing to do an oral history of the tweet for The Ringer, and then I thought that they don't need more. Well, here's a question I have instead. Do you think, 
Well, okay, here's the question. Where is there more oral history? The entire works of Herodotus or a single month on the ringer? Like, what has, what relies more on oral histories? They found a thing that works. People love uh, decontextualized quotes spread out over three to even 5,000 words. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I have to say, I still mostly enjoy them. It's just... No, I mean, they're, they're good. It's just, like, I always feel like you could... I mean, I guess the reason why they exist in that form is that, like, it would be harder to make them into a, a good feature. Like, I'm sure that that's probably what people go into it thinking they're going to do, is write it as a feature, and then at some point you just, like, have this whole mess of quotes and the three lines harder to suss out, and there you go. But, yeah, it is a... It's not, it's not my favorite format, necessarily, although I do generally enjoy uh, reading them when I read them. It's just yeah. that, yeah. You know, like, when I see it, it's just like... I just it. know... Uh, I think we're due for another Saturday Night Live oral history here pretty soon, right? I mean, there's only been like eight or nine of them mm -hmm. in the last ten years, so... <laughs> I, want, I, just, I want like a Fox Sports 1 version of the ESPN book. Oh, that would be so great. Just just people talking about Jamie Horowitz and like what it's like to work for Skip. The problem yeah. is it couldn't be an oral history. It has to be a video, so... Yeah, that's true. Yes. <laughs> Oral histories are pivoting to video, you guys. Yeah, that's we've got, we've really exciting. <laughs> uh, okay, so another another thing that you're you're known for. That's weird. Is... I just searched oral videos on Google, and it's really <laughs> oh, weird. No. Yeah, I don't know. That's, I don't think it's working yet. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> They're still Sorry, pivoting. They're pivoting hard right now. Is uh... that what that is called? Because it looks. All right. All right. Uh, okay, another thing you're known for. You are you are the first person, as far as I can tell from my research, to ask the question, why do all national politicians look like failed college basketball coaches? A very a, a, a great question for our time. It's different tiers. Like, I, I talked to uh, a guy from uh, the SB Nation mid-major site about this uh, a couple weeks ago. And it was, like, weird in the sense that, like, I, I actually can't really explain the thought process behind that one very well. Like, it's something that came to me and then has, like, sort of stayed with me, but I don't think I've ever really been able to fully unpack it. But there's, like, the guy, he sent me some uh, photos of, like, mid-major grade coaches, like the guy that coaches at Stetson or the coaches at, like, North Dakota State or whatever. Uh -huh. And those guys are, those are members of the House of Representatives. And then, like, yeah, once you get up to, like, Bill Self or whatever, it looks like kind of like a fucked up John Edwards or whatever like that. Mm -hmm. But that's like John Edwards ran for president. Like Bill Self won a national championship. Like the guy that coaches at Stetson is just mostly like trying to stay out of the newspaper. Well, my question with this is, does this mean that is Rod Blagojevich the Dave Bliss of politicians? Oh, and wow. vice versa? Because <laughs> <laughs> they kind of have the same vibe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> Bliss is amazing. I saw he recently got fired from like a, a Christian high school, like possibly an unaccredited high school that like he had like instantly gotten them in trouble for recruiting <laughs> stuff. Like he's still doing it. He's still getting yeah. hired because he's like so like overtly religious in the way yeah. that he is now where it's just like every time he's like, I am more sorry than I was last time, more sorry than like anyone could have been. And I thought that was true last time as well. And there's always some high school that's willing to bring him on and then like instantly all of his players are like whatever arriving in like range rovers with like open carrying long guns and he's like look man i'm not your dad 
All right. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on a fucking gold mine of murder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Glavich is one that I, I mean, I really wish more that there were still more college basketball coaches that had the the Blagojevich vibe. Like he's got yeah. that kind of like that like wheedling city guy. Like there's not as many. Like Scaramucci was like a very much like that like Rick Pitino coaching tree sort of like northeastern yeah. vibe. But like Blagojevich, you don't see as much of that anymore. Like these weird uh, like midwestern city types. Yeah. yeah dude, like. <laughs> The ones that I've always, like, Scaramucci was the one that, where I think that, like, he maybe ended the game. Like, because that guy looked so much, like, he would, it, it was too much. Like, that is exactly the sort of guy that would get hired by, like, Manhattan College, and then, like, instantly they'd be like, everything on his resume is made up. Like, yeah. we, have, we have no idea who this person is. Like, all we know is, like, he was definitely born in Cyprus, and he's twice as old as he says he is. Like... Like it just, yeah, which is, I mean, amazing that he was able to, to completely break the game like that. Because there are so many other people that, you know, have that, you know, vibe to them. But yeah, they'll, they'll never be another. Most of the, I think a lot of people in the, the general Trump orbit, like, and this is an amazing thing to think about. Like, Steve Bannon is too unhealthy looking to be a college basketball coach. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah. Stephen Miller is too weird to be a college basketball coach. <laughs> and like, and if you follow college basketball, like, those aren't, like, you're, that doesn't exist. That's not a standard that previously obtained anywhere. There's no such thing as being too unhealthy to be a college basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> did it for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean Spicer is like too depressing to be yeah. a college basketball coach. He's like, like no one would ever hire that guy. He's a fucking high school athletic director. Yeah. Like <laughs> who's got like and not even with like a serious varsity team. It's just that like someone got injured on a pull-up bar that fell down and he's got to talk to their parents. <laughs> That's the vibe they had. <laughs> I can see him just being like cowering in fear from like a really powerful women's lacrosse coach that just he just he, no authority over her. He just hides in his office. Yeah. Well, if you say that you need warm up pants, then I guess you do. But uh, I don't appreciate your tone. I'll sign. I'll sign the waiver. Don't. Of course, I'll sign the waiver. Just it's the last time. He seems like he. He seems like he would never know where his golf cart is. And he's just like, oh, again. Students, students are stealing it constantly. Like, he's never been in it. It's always it's in the bottom of a different fraternity swimming pool. He doesn't even get it between when it's removed from one swimming pool to another. It just goes straight to another frat house and it's driven down the water slide. Uh. Uh, the one, the one other Twitter thing I wanted to talk to you about is that you are, I believe, the pioneer bad tweet sabermetrician. I would say. Oh yeah, that I think that it is actually the thing that I I made up. The rest of it, I am standing on the shoulders of giants. I think I'm <laughs> notice that shit. Uh, can you I was actually going to write something about it, but I'll I'll give the the brief version of it. Oh yeah, there's a certain type of bad tweet. Um, where it has a combination of the the ratio thing, where it's like a thousand people being like, "Don't ever tweet again," and then like two people retweeting it, yeah. like that happens. <laughs> and usually, like on the way to that happening, uh, like if a tweet is sufficiently bad that it has like no constituency for, no real constituency for uh, retweets, on only like a weird rump faction of a constituency for like cowardly likes, 
and then uh, and then it's bad enough that like 300 people are telling that person to like go live in a dumpster for the rest of their lives. That, like there's a moment in there where it looks like a baseball player's slash line for like average home runs in RBI. And there's one, uh, ironically, Bill James who uh, hates counting stats as crude as that had a <laughs> shitty tweet a few, a few weeks ago that was like it looked like a pete cosmos batting line like it was like, <laughs> 100, like 191 4 25 and you're like yeah that's like yeah. it's a guy that gets 150 at bats i'm like i'm like a bad cardinals somehow like goes to that yes it's interesting because i i saw one yesterday and didn't screenshot it in advance of this because if a tweet is too bad uh it just, just takes, takes off. off too much and i and it like yeah there was one that that ended up looking like um it just doesn't match quite enough because the the retweet number ended up too high but it was really like a really solid frank gore rushing season because it was like 1300 and then I guess if you counted receptions, it was like a 1,352 and like, a, you know, it doesn't quite work, but you, <laughs> yeah, you end up no, with I get these it. like, yeah. Uh, it's tough. What was the tweet, John? What was the tweet? Yeah. Sorry, it was the one where Mike Greenberg asked if a 62 home run John Carlos Stanton season would be considered the real record holder. Which <laughs> <laughs> is an insane... Uh, yeah, and yeah, at, is... the, at the point that you wrote it down in this document, oh, yeah. it was at 380-30-157. That's amazing. That's yeah, like, but I think it's, I, it's gotten so much worse. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, there's one, there's... Uh, that was like a, Ted uh, Williams I, before he went to war the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was one that yesterday uh, someone sent me, the, the writer Paul Blessed sent me, um, Helen Andrews, a Catholic... Uh, opinion writer uh, tweeted the video of protesters taking down a Confederate monument in Durham and said the average Confederate officer was morally superior to anyone in this video. That much. Oh my God. And it was, it was for one shining moment, like the last season of Richie Sexton's career as a, (laughs) as a useful player. It was 197, 16, 45. Like, like bad Adam Dunn. Like, yeah. there's a couple of guys that usually looks like Rob Deere is a guy that you see a lot of. Or if you're me in this, where it'd be like two seventeen forty five, like sixty. And you're like, well, that's not very good. But like, it's a lot of solo dingers and a lot yeah. of pop outs. Uh, Joey, Joey, before the 2014 playoffs made him for, swear off baseball forever. Uh, was a was an A's fan, and we would see a lot of Jack Cust lines that are oh like, yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ton of homers and get somehow like fewer RBIs than home runs. Like, yeah. People like scientists cannot explain it. Somehow yeah. the A's have managed to have one of those guys basically every year since like 1984. It's the best. Where it's like, it's like he leaves, Chris Carter arrives, you know. Like Matt yes. Stairs has somehow been just like haunting the upper deck of the stadium. Not yeah, <laughs> never left. <laughs> Oh, you rap guys, it's a joke. 
I'm here to take the scoring title Without the green light for my coach Man, don't make me have to smack your lineup I'm Michael Jordan, y'all have a minus Hey, we are sponsored by a brand new investment product It's called The Potting Fool It's for people to determine staggeringly important long-term financial decision Based on ads they hear in the middle of their favorite podcasts Because when is a better time to determine your family's financial future Than when you are listening to comedians tell you about a violent crime Here's how it works. The potting fool chooses from a bunch of vibrant growth industries, mattresses, mail-order dinners, audiobooks, and Squarespace.com. Then they repeat the exact same investments halfway through the investment cycle every time. It's a lot like normal financial advising, except there is a very breezy conversational tone for everything. And the potting fool has a lot of great financial advisors, ranging from investors who are plugging a book to marginally qualified experts who went to college with a podcaster to untamed interns who know how to run a soundboard to stoner comedian Doug Benson. In fact, they're producing a new show, Getting High Yield Investments with Doug, uh, where he goes on E-Trade Baked. Act now with promo code LOCKTHEGATES and they'll waive your first month of brokerage fees. Do not, and we repeat, do not download the anti-potting fool podcast, Missing My Life Savings, because those people are just jealous. The potting fool. It's lit, fam. Oh, it's wow. A, it's a weird slogan for them to they choose. They stole but... my catchphrase. Yeah. I think um... this probably it's micro-targeting is the term that they use. Uh, I, guess, I guess that's it. <laughs> they know that your listeners cannot get enough of that freeze. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they love when a white, when a... Uh, white guy in his late thirties says a <laughs> ironically says a millennial statement. That is our fandom here. All right, <laughs> David. So you're yeah. a fan of the New Jersey slash Brooklyn Nets? More than New Jersey than the Brooklyn Nets, to be honest. Yeah, I uh, had a feeling. Yeah, like at some point it became. It was never easy to be a New Jersey Nets fan, but at some point it became basically untenable. And then once they, I mean, they moved closer to me. Uh, like I don't have to take, I didn't have to take New Jersey transit and like two shuttle buses to get there anymore. But yeah, at some point be just, um, it's easy to let it go, uh, after a while. <laughs> well, so my first question might explain that, which is what's it like watching the aftermath of the worst NBA trade ever? So I've only been to, I don't think I've been to a Brooklyn Nets game for pleasure in three years. <laughs> I've been to several. I've worked a couple. Uh, I covered a playoff. I covered the when they played the Raptors in 2000, the, the one year that that trade mm-hmm. looked like it could work. It's 2014, I guess. Yeah, the uh, the first year Paul Pierce destroyed the uh, hearts and minds of the people of Canada. But uh, I mean, whatever. I, and as a New Jersey <laughs> Nets fan, I detested Paul Pierce because he uh, was terrible to the Nets, even when mm-hmm. they beat terrible to the Nets. And then the idea, like, of all the things that you could do, like, obviously, they didn't care about what former New Jersey Nets fans thought. There's only, like, 1,200 of us anyway, and we're all, you know, extremely damaged people. There's no reason why they should be trying to pander to us. But, yeah, like, getting Paul Pierce is, like, it, like it's somehow more offensive to the state of New Jersey than, like, consciously moving the team's operations and game sites out of the state. Like, there's nothing shits on that legacy more than getting Pierce. So I went to those games, and it seemed kind of promising. Like, it seemed like people cared, and then the team got real bad. And I covered a game last year uh, that what was, I think, kind of an emotional low ebb for me as well. Like, just I was having a very bad time. Uh, and the assignment that I got kind of, like, rhymed 
with uh, how shitty I was feeling, like basically um, Jorge, my editor, suggested that I go to a Nets-Knicks game on a night when it was supposed to be like negative 10 degrees. Oh. And both teams, yeah, the Nets hadn't won in two weeks. Uh, the Knicks were like, the last game that they'd won was like somehow against the Nets. And both teams were really bad. And the idea was basically just like, let's send Dave to this game and see like if he dies, I guess. <laughs> and it was it wound up being like way more of a positive. I mean, the bar obviously is extremely low, but it wound up being a way more positive experience. Like just because like both of the everybody that was there kind of knew that it was hilarious that they were there. Mm-hmm. And yet it was also clear that like one of the teams was going to win the game mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, because that's how the rules are. And it wound up being kind of like fun. And yeah, that's also like, that's the last Nets game I intend to go to for some time. I kind of like what they've done this off season. Like I actually kind of really like it. Like I think that they clearly have a plan now. Oh, we're going to get to, yeah. Let's just, let's just, let's, um, yeah. So what they did was they, they traded Brooke Lopez, uh, the Nets career scoring leader, Brooke Lopez. What a mm-hmm. weird and the record. Celtics pick. Uh, and the Celtics pick for D'Angelo Russell and Timofey Mozgov. Uh, they traded for Damari Carroll. They just gave up, what is that guy's name? Justin Hamilton? Uh, and then they got, they traded Andrew Nicholson, who they got a mm-hmm. first round pick for picking up, uh, for Alan Crabb, who they had tried to sign last summer. So they they seem like they have a team of at least five to six real basketball players who also seem excited about being on that team. Well, it's, and it's like... the least depressing team in the Brooklyn part of the franchise's history. Oh, for like, sure. Which is amazing because mm. the team that you described too is they're going to win 21 games, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, and yet, like I'd say leaps and bounds, the least depressing team in the Brooklyn part of the franchise's history. I mean, this is the first time they've done something that isn't just like buying out one of their, uh, awful contracts that they signed. Yeah. Right, and D'Angelo Russell is the first good young player they've had since Richard Jefferson? Yeah, a much <laughs> much younger Brooke Lopez, like yeah. the young before it was like clear what Brooke Lopez was going to be, when you're like, that could be that guy could be, definitely could be Brooke Lopez. Like, yeah. I mean, they drafted Lopez nine years ago, and they and I, I looked it up, the highest pick they had to go with him was uh, they got Terrence Williams in the lottery oh, one yeah. year. And then other than that, it's like, I think Derek Rondé Favors, Hollis right? Jefferson is the highest pick besides him. Oh yeah, yeah they, they did, did draft they, Derek Favors, yeah. But then they, oh, they drafted right, him yeah. to trade him, because that was yeah. the idea was that we're going to go to Brooklyn, we're going to make a splash, we're going to trade all of our good young players for people 34 and over, and like that's like somehow that was the model that they went in with, hoping to like win fans over. Well, like, they tra- you opened a pack of basketball cards in two thousand nine. All those guys are on our team now. <laughs> they traded for Darren Williams in his prime, and that did not work. Um, and yeah. it's still kind of unclear what happened there. I would say to Darren Williams, but I wonder if the Brooklyn uh, front office just went to like a music festival and started like, well, there's a lot of guys from Brooklyn here. Let's see who they like. And they're all wearing ironic old basketball jerseys. <laughs> like we got to sign them all. <laughs> that was the, that would explain the like extremely disastrous Tony Kukoc three-year deal. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise inexplicable. Yeah. And yet there it is. 
Yeah, I did sort of, it was really hard to figure out what the plan was for a while. And I say this as a, as a fan of the Mets also, I mean, I spent most of my life cheering for shitty teams that like, if the, if you spend a few years, like just with things kind of just happening in between losses, that things that they don't necessarily seem to make sense. It's just kind of like the way that the weather is different from one day to the next. Like if that happens for three years and then there's some glimmer of it, even just intent Mm-hmm. On the part of the regime that replaces that, you're like, all right, like I see it, like maybe two, three years till the championship, like I can see it happening, and like, but that is really what it takes. They hired a competent guy. They're leaving him alone. I think because the owner doesn't care, like he doesn't go to games anymore. He knows that this isn't going to get him laid or anything, so he's just like back, whatever, at like the World Kite Surfing Championships, wherever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> billionaire <laughs> Russian playboys do, yeah, and. But, like, yeah, left alone, like, there's no reason why it should be as difficult as it has been. Like, they, you know, even all the bad contracts that they took on, which, I mean, like, Crab and, and Carol are disastrously bad contracts. And Mozgov is, like, I mean, it would also be disastrous, but it's really more funny than bad that he's paid <laughs> as much as he is. Well, he's like, also, this- <laughs> at least he's the greatest local TV pitch man Oh in in gosh. the NBA right now, I still watch those ads sometimes. The uh, the beer garden ones from Ohio, yeah. where he's wearing his jersey backwards, <laughs> so that people know who he is. Um, beer, I... family food. That's my favorite line reading in there. Uh, so we, Sean and I, both grew up Golden State Warriors fans. We're not like, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. bandwagon fans. So. <laughs> yeah. Everything you just said there, really, I just had flashbacks to a game Sean and I, I believe, went to together where I was furious that the, it was probably the 2009 Golden State Warriors. No, it was, it was well, 2010, maybe? I think it, yeah, it, w- it was the, the time we got the box, right? <laughs> yeah, I was So it was, I, I want to say, it was, was it your, it was somebody's birthday, and we managed to get a luxury box for like 25 people for something like $400. Like, it was a very... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Warriors were playing uh, the Oklahoma the City Oklahoma Thunder. The Oklahoma City Thunder. And, and it was the last game of the season. And they just played and... heroically. Monte Ellis, like, didn't come out of the game. They're they're winning. It's incredible. They're beating Kevin Durant. And Joey is just seething because I'm they're blowing their draft I'm furious that they're position. winning. <laughs> <laughs> like, it should have been... A great happy moment, and yet yeah. I was so mad. I almost gave up on the team because I was like, they never do what I want them to. Yeah, there's no like explaining that in a way that doesn't make you sound crazy. Like because it, I mean, like for an obvious reason, like it's a crazy way to feel and be, and yet it is also like I've 100% been there where it's like you're trying to play the long game, and these guys are like trying to like some last gasp assertion of like dignity as like. Like men as like professionals, uh-huh. you're like get him the fuck out of there, get Monte out of there. He's ruining everything. He's like playing the best game of his life. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I mean, the best teams. If this is like the. I think at this point we've now like we've gone further when it comes to like tanking. That like teams now know that you just you can't give yourself a chance for that happening. Like you can't afford to have Monte Ellis on your team if you really want to tank because he's going to personally win like five games a year for you. And like, that's, yeah. you can't have that. It's like you're trying to win 12 total. Like you really, 
I remember when the Nets were in tank mode, uh, there was a Jordan Farmar game where he just, like, wouldn't let him lose. Like, oh, was, I remember uh, that. Which yeah, was yeah. amazing. And, like, he's, like, popping his jersey and just, like, all of Farmar, like, douche ticks that he had, like, were just coming out. It's like, this is it. Like, and I didn't care enough about the team at that point. Like, I was able to just sort of appreciate, like, that this is what I was seeing. That I was just like, all right, this is, this is beautiful. Like, no one's going to see this again. I remember my Knicks fan friends used to feel that way about the Alexi Schved uh, regime. There was when you were like the Knicks, like post insanity, everybody's hurt. And like Schved always looks like someone that just got terrible news about his pet or something. Like he's just like the most hangdog, beaten down looking guy. But he would like just absolutely gun like crazy in these games. And he had like a couple like, like a shitty version of insanity where like the team doesn't actually win and no one cares. But it was like that sort of performance. And so there was, like, a few, like, desperate Knicks fans were like, this is great, everyone should be watching this. And then I was just like, no, there's, like, all these other teams. Why Why would I do that? I mean, one, yeah. of, one of the greatest Warriors moments was when they had, like, only five players available. Oh, yeah. And they managed to beat the Blazers. And, like, Steph Curry and Anthony Tolliver and Monte Ellis played the whole game. And, and Devin George fouled out, but they didn't have a guy to put him back in. Right, so so Don Nelson put in an injured guy so he could just take the technical foul and put him in, and it was like, and it, it honestly was a a really like the guys were super emotional about the win because you know I mean I'm sure I'm sure Steph Curry doesn't think about it that much, but I wonder if Monte Ellis is like this is the ultimate validation of Monte Ellis, like if I just have to have the ball every time. You have to give it to me. And, like, it was, you know, it looked like guys were about to cry afterwards. And ultimately, what it led to was... That's, like, a basketball game I want to see. Oh, oh, it's so good. I mean, the guy coming out, like, bringing in guys with knee injuries so they could come out and you could replace a guy who'd fouled out. And then... (laughs) But if you look at it, the end result is that the Warriors ended up with Ekpe Udo instead of Boogie Cousins. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the, the the real aftermath of that. That's the the part of the story that you're not supposed to tell. Right. I think that's like the same way that like Monte Ellis could definitely see that as being like you know whatever, being like it's proof it can work. Yeah. <laughs> like if, like if you get me fifty shots a game, like it's only happened once or twice. But like, <laughs> I dare you. Like we were two and zero in those games, so uh, expand uh, that out over the course of an eighty-two game season. Yeah. We fought our way to the front of the stage, just like Dallin Bear and Demarcus are out there fighting for position. Yeah. We got to the front, and I got on the bus. It was unbelievable. I've been to nearly nearly eight hundred shows over forty-three years, and they're my best friend. I grew up in New Jersey. I went to school in Los Angeles. And I instantly, like, I potentially, you know, freed from this Nets thing. I can't see him on TV. I don't have to watch it. This is before they were streaming. And I was like, I could go anywhere I want. I can choose my... <laughs> and I'm like, the Clippers are very nearby. <laughs> like, they have Tyrone Nesby already. So let's see where they're going. <laughs> and that was it. And so I was a fucking Clips fan. I still am a Clips fan. Like, that's the closest to a team that I actually care about. Like, when my friends and I talk about basketball... Like, as in, like, caring about, like, what a team does in the draft or whatever. It's, like, my friends from college who came from all over. And this is how we, like, found each other. We're all the idiots that were, like, watching Eric Pajkowski on KCAL 9. Uh-huh. 
And, like, Bill Walton used to do those games, the ones that were on KCAL with Ralph Lawler, and Walton would just make fun of the team nonstop all through the game. And I, and I somehow that didn't, like, register or change my opinion at all. Like, he'd be, whatever, like, Ola Candy was on the team at the time. And, like, Walton would be, like, special numbers for a special talent while, like, Ola Candy's at the line at the end of the game. Like, five points and four rebounds in 30 minutes. Well, like you could really see the improvement. Tim Duncan is the name that comes to mind. Like, he was <laughs> so sarcastic about all of it. My favorite, my favorite Bill Walton broadcasting moment was, uh, he used, they used to, he used to do the, uh, NBC games too. And there was a Utah Jazz, uh, playoff game where they brought in Chris Morris, uh, also former net. Oh, and Bill Walton but just, has uh, ever given less of a shit than that guy. <laughs> And Bill Walton just starts going, what? What are they doing? No, Chris Morris is a terrible player. And it was really funny. And then um, I realized that Chris Morris is sitting, he's at the scorer's table. So he's like <laughs> five feet away from Bill Walton as he's just yelling about how oh, terrible he is. Really harsh. Yeah, I always thought about that as like in the context of the clips. Like, I know that they have like actual game tape to review, but the idea of like Pete Chilcutt like studiously going back to like break down some tape after the game and like while he's playing, like Bill Walton's just like chilly, truly a special player, a pantheon player. Like, just he has to like tune that shit out and try to focus on like what he's doing. Like, like the Hall of Famer, like basically being like he's not shit and he never will be shit. Like that, you just yeah. you can't hear it. You have to focus on, like, the one corner jumper that you hit. I mean, it makes college basketball so much better when he's doing the games because he just he doesn't care at all. He's also, like, like you can't tell if he's being positive or negative at any point, and we'll just talk about anything because it's just college this basketball the, happening around there. It doesn't really matter if he's narrating it. That was the thing that with the Clippers, I'm still not honestly sure that I got it right. Like, I don't know if I'm... Like, part of that job, obviously, is, like, fan service, right? So, like, you want to tell people that Michael Olawakandi could be better than he is. Yeah. And, like, maybe that was him earnestly trying to do it. Like, and he's just kind of, like, pumping it up because he's, like, not really paying attention to the words that are coming out of his mouth or whatever. So he's like, yeah, truly, like, a, the baby hook shot, like, echoes of Kareem through the sports arena. <laughs> like, that's, like, I don't think he meant it, but, like, maybe he meant it? I don't know. <laughs> he was sort of... Tough to say. Yeah, but when you get those games, like the really meaningless uh, Pac-12 games late at night on the East Coast, watching it, it's just like, it's perfect. It's like a body high. Just like some, like, fucking, like a Washington, Washington State game. And he's like, pivotal, the eyes of the world are on this floor right now. <laughs> just like two teams playing for like, whatever, the, the eighth and final spot in the conference tournament. And yeah, well, it's... And let's be honest, uh, Bill Walton would love the fact that you described him as a body high, because he is definitely an indica man. Oh, yeah. He's, uh... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> My dream is to interview Bill Walton and to have him tell me about the health benefits of different types of marijuana. <laughs> like, I want to be in, like, a yurt with him, where he's like, it's actually proven to cure psychosis. You know how I talk every week and complain about the NCAA not modernizing the rules? That's another rule they gotta modernize. And this whole 
war on drugs has been an absolute failure across the board. Somebody's got to step forward, and we're looking for Obama to step up and say, why are we punishing people for things that are legal? That's the uh, sort of the, the middle ground in the way that basketball gets talked about that I think generally gets left out is that there's this like, obviously there always has been a wish to like sort of parse really successful teams and then sort of reverse engineer why they're great and talk about how they're great or who are they as great as or whatever. That's never really interested me very much. The idea of like the process and that idea of like starting a team from scratch is interesting to a certain extent, but like I don't watch basketball for those reasons. Like I watch it to have fun and to see people having fun and because like I think basketball is fun to play and watch. And there's that exactly like, and a team can be very good. Like I mean the Warriors are, you know, fun and also great. Or they were more so, I think, the year before last. Uh, they were, like, yes. too good last year for me to really enjoy. As a fan of, like, I always have to bring it back to the Warriors because I'm the worst. But, like, what gets lost on, like, analytics people is when you are a fan of a team, like, you hold on to the team that is sort of good for the rest of your life. Like, I really feel like real Warriors fans, they have a hard time admitting it, but they probably love the We Believe team more than about the championship that. team. How could I, you not? Today, February 12th, Bill Russell, my favorite player ever on and off the court. Oh, my gosh. Abraham Lincoln, John Wooden's favorite American ever. Charles Darwin, who came up with so many different scientific all right, um, I think it's time for, we play a game at the end of every episode, uh, and I think it's time for our game, guys. Uh, last week, we play, what we do, David, is we play a game called What Are They Doing Right Now? And last episode, we played what is, we had Jamel John, comedian Jamel Johnson from the Air Buds podcast. So mm-hmm. last week we played what is Air Bud doing right now? <laughs> and we posted the poll on Twitter. And the options were, is he learning High Lie to star in another movie where the dog plays High Lie? Is he being grilled by the dog media about how his uh, clothes are made in sweatshops? Or, and this was your overwhelming winner... Does he have CTE from that time he played football? <laughs> and so. I won because Airbud has CTE. Oh, Fly okay. the W, Dubaroo. Did we announce? <laughs> did we announce the uh, the other I'm, poll? Winner? I'm getting to that oh, one right now. And then we also, because we did so many episodes back to back, we also the episode before with Dave Schilling, uh, <laughs> we played what is Sam Hinky doing right now. And the options were, is he throwing toothpicks in the air and trying to count them? Is he eating his own fingernails? Or Sean pulled out his first win. Oh. He's taking over for Lorne Michaels uh, at SNL and replacing them all with uh, comedians with ACL injuries. Yeah. <laughs> um, so congratulations. Fly those W's, Dubaroo. Um, but this week... We have a fan named Dubaroo, by the way. Oh, that's yeah. Not, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's he's, important. He's, to... Yeah, I didn't yeah, know if that was, like, if that was yeah. like secretly the no. Chicago Cubs, like, <laughs> right. ball and stuff. Uh, well, that was the joke that that started. But Dubaroo, he's the keeper of the flame. He keeps all of our records. Yeah. 
uh, because we are too lazy to keep them. <laughs> and uh, but so, David, we have a game for you. You mm-hmm. mentioned him earlier. Uh, you almost tipped the pitch. A lot of baseball talk today. Oh yeah. Uh, for what this game is going to be, and uh, the game we're going to play is what is Brooklyn Nets owner Mikhail Prokhorov doing right now? Ooh. Sean, would you like to go first? Um, yeah, I think he is. You know, he has a lot of projects and a lot of stuff that he does every day. But I think that right now, as we're recording this, he is buying a $1,500 pair of acid wash jeans. <laughs> <laughs> I think, personally, he is uh, lifting a medicine ball while also releasing uh, Andre Kirilenko's family. Uh, oh, oh, that's a good move. <laughs> That is the upside of the Mozgov acquisition is that uh, he might take he might take a buyout. <laughs> and David, what do you think Mikhail Prokhorov is doing at this moment? I think preparing to announce the formation of a world like it's like a new sports league, but it's all wet T-shirt contests. <laughs> Well, all good. Those are all good answers. Uh, pay attention to our Twitter at Round Rock Pod if you want to vote in that poll. And uh, that's the end of our show, guys. David, is there anything you'd like to plug? Uh, I can't think of. You know, I've written some things for a few places of late. I'm doing a column for a Victory Journal every two weeks, but yeah, nothing, nothing huge yet. Uh, you know, that's I mostly. I'm I'm just trying to do podcasts now. Yeah. Oh, that's great! Well, I would have I'm, I'm pivoting. I'm pivoting to guesting. Pivoting to audio. That's that's <laughs> yeah. Pivoting to audio. Big time. Uh, I also would encourage everybody just start it. Uh, look at the very easy, fun archive of stuff over at the classical. I think that our, yeah. that's a that's a great place for your your David Roth uh, writing reading some experience. Of, some of the best people in the world are involved with the classical. Yeah. Uh, you got Nathaniel Friedman, you got David Roth, you got Eric Freeman, you have my personal hero, Tom Sharpling. It's just a great place. Ethan oh, yeah. Sherwood Strauss wrote for them. There's some great stuff. Um, Sean, is there anything you would like to plug? Um, you can check out um, uh, you if you if you have not had enough of Big Three talk for me on this podcast, you can check it out on. Yard Barker. The playoffs are about to start. I should have a couple things up there. And check out uh, the Everything Report on Instagram. Yep. Uh, I also write for the uh, Everything Report, so that'll probably be my plug. Um, Also, check out Dave Schilling's movie review podcast, movie review web series on uh, uh, Super Deluxe and YouTube. and uh, we're still giving away free round ball rock stickers if you'd like them. DM us your address on Twitter, and I will send you those stickers. We have been really fu- impressed. I've been impressed by the geographic reach of the podcast. I'm yeah, well, I sent two to. I'm gonna have to send two to Canada tomorrow. So oh, amazing! It's pretty tight. Um, and finally, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Frankie Muniz. <laughs> Where I where uh, today I tweeted every time I think about deleting someone I follow, they happen to write me. Then I gotta wait at least a month.
Uh, <laughs> that's that's been our show. <laughs> Trust the process, you guys. Trust the process, everybody. And as always, shut it down. Let's go home. Never stand before we can do the four. It's our number one draft pick that you can't be. Here go your NBA, never NBC. Rookie get a year, now that's MVP. Never stand before we can do the four. It's the number one draft pick that you can't be. Sad, treat me like a sucker. Jazz up your five, you ain't meet me at the rocker. Put the heat to you fuckers. Half man, half amazing with a clip in my boot. The four five will make you skip to my loop. Think about it. Understand when I was younger, I was all on my own. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.